Okay, sorry guys. I was trying to get the uh, slideshow to send, that's why. All right, in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, amen. Trigger alert. I don't know why I get emotional sometimes um, with the lives of the saints, even though we already know how it ends. Um, like there's, <laughs> there's no surprises. Um, <clears throat> so if it happens, I'll just turn it into a joke um, to move on. The gospel reading that we just read, I think is actually very appropriate. This is one of, I think, the hardest chapters um, in Pope Cruz's life. Um, I'm going to have to go on high speed through two decades, otherwise we'll, like, we could easily spend a week on just this part of his life. So we're going to go sonic speed through 20 years of his life. But the gospel that we just read, I think, is befitting because I used to have that, um, that impression when people say, where there's smoke, there's fire. Um, and so if people are saying things, I used to assume, well, there must be something. Um, until I learned that it's true that where there's fire, there's smoke, but it's also true that sometimes there's just smoke machines and there's no fire. Um, and we'll see that happens to Pope Like Even in this gospel, even when someone's doing something really good, no one's happy, right? Like here's a woman washing the feet of Christ. You think like, oh, good, she's repenting. And they're like, why is she doing that, right? Now it's not okay that she's repenting. Now it's like... She could, have, she could have spent her time and money better. Um, and I think we're going we're gonna to see a lot of this in this chapter of uh, Pope Cruz's. Is this better? Oh, I can hear me. Thank you. Um, <laughs> so as I said, we're going to fast forward through these two decades for the sake of time. Um, and I'm going to try and go high speed. But... Um, I want to remind you that the spirit of prayer, um, because we're gonna we're gonna focus a little bit more on the prayer life of Pope Corliss for a part of this, um, is not one of words, right? And I really, really am intentionally emphasizing that because I think most of us assess our prayer lives based on how much we talk um, to God about God, but that's not necessarily um, the real thing. So I'm I'm glad that this is up this time that you can have. A visual in front of you because it's nice that he's accessible in this way. Um, if I can be so bold as to say that Abuna Mina entered as a youth to the monastery um, and he leaves it as an elder even though he's very young. Um, there's a monastic adage um, in Arabic, it's it's a tough word. Um, eldership is not by age. Um, and I think Abuna Mina is, is exemplary in this because he's still in his 30s um, when he ends up leaving the monastery. So keep in mind that he's in his early 30s when he enters in the cave. He's in his early 30s when he's turned down being a bishop. He's in his early 30s when he stood up, as we saw, to the council, to the, the, the magma of the, of the monks. And he's still in his 30s when these next incidents happen. Um, but we left off yesterday um, on his mysterious time in the cave, right, that we don't know enough about. But whatever happened in that cave, um, Abu Amina was transfigured. Um, most of us run to people when we have problems, when we have hardships. Um, Abu Amina ran into God. So this incident that we'll start with um, is a story that 
is very moving, I think, on so many levels because it cost him everything, right? We, we saw that when Amina had for three years been praying about getting this time in the cave, right? It wasn't something that happened overnight. And we'll see him lose everything in a moment for the sake of truth, for the sake of justice. Um, this is the story that leads to Abu Amina's exit from the Baramos Monastery, um, which I think is a big lesson that holiness for him is not dependent on the place, right? Even if he loves the place, but that wasn't a thing for him. This is the famous story of the seven monks. So the date is April 4th, 1936. Um, Abu Amina comes to the monastery for Vespers of Lazarus Saturday. You can all imagine this is like leading to Pascha week. It's always a lot of hype, right? And we're going to make his af. We're going to be doing the palms that night. Like there's a mood, right? Um, so he's coming. He's probably stoked only to enter in a complete ruckus. Um, the devil hates Lent, right? But he really hates Holy Week. Um, and so all hell typically breaks loose during Holy Week. Um, and this was no exception. So he comes into a ruckus. The accusation was that some of the monks had challenged the wakil, the superintendent, Abuna Basilius. This escalated. Um, and then, whatever it was, and it, because of how vague history is about whatever the issue is, um, this might be completely wrong for me to say, it sounds to me like it must have been really hayif. Um, because that's why they don't want to talk about it, or being like, no one wants it to be about that. Whatever it is, it escalated. Um, and to what the accusation was, that it's a rebellion now against the abbot Abuna Barneba. Right? So Abuna Barneba ordered the expulsion of the seven monks. That's a big deal, right? That's not customary. Right? So now they're being kicked out, um, and it's Holy Week. So Abuna, walked, Abuna Mina walks into a scene where the one who's actually in charge is present, the governor himself had apparently come. Like, they really escalated this, right? Like, they, they brought in the Mahalfas. They brought in the governor. It's like bringing in, what's his face, Ford, um, to deal with an issue. That's literally what they did. Um, and um, who else was there? Hold on, I have it here somewhere. Um, the governor and the cops um, came in. Like, it's like, they're old men, right? Like, what kind of resistance are they even... Um, gonna show. So Abu Amina runs and tries to make peace with the abbot, and he does the traditional Egyptian niceties. They say, Sahitak, how's your health? Uh, what's going on? Um, and he's <laughs> being nice. Um, and in also typical Egyptian, maybe that's not nice to say, um, social custom, the abbot says, these are the Pope's orders, I'm just executing them. Right? Which is the like, like, right? Like, if it's on me, no, 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 I would let them go. But what can I do? The Pope said. Um, and so, Abu Amina acts as a true priest. One of the, the meaning of presbyter is intercessor, right? Abu Amina intercedes. He prays for these monks, right? This is an act of prayer. We're talking about a man who prays. And he says, well, of course, the Pope wouldn't be happy to kick them out on Palm Sunday and cause them to lose their hope. And what he says speaks so much about how Pope Krolos, who's here, Bunamina, sees fatherhood. It would surely be mournful for the Pope. Right? It would be surely be mournful for the Pope if these monks were expelled on the eve of Palm Sunday. The Pope would never accept this. 
right? That these fathers should lose their hope in Christ. You, right, he's, he's, he's giving all dignity and honor to the, the abbot. And keep in mind, he's not taking a stance, right? He hasn't jumped in to say who's right and who's wrong. He's not even presuming to do that. He's talking about the scenario itself that they'd be kicked out, especially on the Holy Week. You, he says to the abbot, are our head and shepherd, the father of monks, responsible in front of God of the sick, the confused, and the lost. In your hands is monastic authority to guide and restore the lost. I plead before you in the name of the Lord in these holy days. Postpone this order until the elderly fathers at least have a chance to appeal to his holiness and allow them to be judged inside, not outside, the monastery. Arguk, please. And then growing emboldened and looking the abbot in the eyes, he says, please just do not expel them during Holy Week. Right? This is what he's saying to the abbot is how he himself views fatherhood. Right? That's the place where, where it's coming from. And as we'll see in his papacy, and as we'll see even in here, the way he was a father in the world, this is how he treated his kids. That's how Abu Amina views fatherhood, justice, mercy, which again, ironically, that that was the gospel reading, right? That, 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 that Christ was saying, you left justice, love, mercy, right? You went by the rules and you forgot. And he says, these you ought to have done. And you left these other undone. How befitting that this is the gospel. It wasn't planned. Um, the abbot was very taken aback and he was not happy, right? His, he felt his dignity was insulted. And he said, how could a young monk dare, right, to challenge his, his dignity and publicly? So he says, listen, my son, right? And it's not the friendly son. It's like, Shofin It's not the Habibi. Um, and he points the finger in his faith. Don't stand in my path. Otherwise, you will be disobeying the patriarch himself. And he said, and then now they flip Abunamina's lifestyle against him, right? He's, this, he's supposed to be a hermit. He said, you're a hermit, it's none of your business, right? Why are you even getting involved in this? And look how suddenly his solitude is being used against him, just like this woman that we read about earlier, where it's like her act of penance is being used as, as, a, as a criminal charge, right? As though she did something wrong by doing that. And look at how much Abuna cares more about justice than his own comfort. How he looks in front of others or what he might lose is irrelevant to him. In talking to God more, because that's what he was doing in his cave, he became like God more. Though only a monk for eight years, Abu Amina actually dug in his heels and he keeps going. And he says, in the name of Christ, who sacrificed himself for our sake, I ask you, my father, please proceed slowly in a manner that would please our monastic predecessors. They taught us to intercede for the wrongdoers and lawbreakers and to give each one his punishment without causing him to lose his hope. That's all he's concerned about. If I spend more time on the details, because there's more of this that we won't get through the next 20 years, but suffice it to say that Abu Amina exiled himself and said he will be their slave until they return to the monastery. Right, This place that he yearned for, that he was dying for, that he fought to go to, on top of it, the cave that he fought for and, and, and prayed for three years for, he's leaving them in a moment for the sake of justice. Right, saying that to me is nothing if not in the love of God. Um, 
this probably freaked out the abbot because the abbot was aware that the Pope loves Abunamina, right? We, we just talked about how the guy walked an hour at the age of 80 to go visit him. So as we're going to see, he's quick to like, let me fast track and talk to him first. Um, but um, the hermit left his solitude for justice. Um, Abuna Daniel, when he's writing this part of the book, compares him to St. Anthony at this part, um, when Abba Anthony left his solitude to go serve the martyrs. Um, and I'll take any comparison to St. Anthony. Um, but I actually think that's the wrong comparison, and it's also the feast of the great St. Anthony, the best saint. Um, I think it's more comparable, in my view, to when St. Anthony, Anthony left the monastery to defend a monk who had fallen into sin, right? There's a famous story where a monk at a monastery fell into a big sin, which is like code word for fornication. Um, and so he gets kicked out. And so he despairs. Um, and I'm, and I'm, part of the reason I'm saying the story is that just as, as Pope Cordless, as Abu Namina said, we, this wouldn't be pleasing to our monastic predecessors. And like, this is true, right? Because this monk went to Abba Antony and said, I was kicked out, I messed up. Abba Antony rehabilitates him and says, go back to your monastery um, and tell them, I, Antony, send them, which is a big deal. He's kind of the first monk and he's the boss. Um, and he goes back to them and they're like, no, we kicked you out. And he's like, no, but Abba Antony sent me back. I'm like, yeah, right. Um, there's no way that he sent you back. He, he must, you either lied like, or, or, or you're lying, like one or the other. Right? So then he goes back to Abba Antony and he says, they still won't accept me. So Abba Antony left his monastery, which he did not like to do, and took him just to the door of the monastery. Um, and the way that one of the accounts of the story is written is very scary and very moving, where it's like he doesn't even enter, which is a statement. Right? And just says, you know, a ship was out at sea, and a great storm arose. And in the middle of the storm, one of the crewmen is thrown into the sea and with great effort we got him back into the boat will you then throw him again in the sea and walks away this is this to me is what Abu Namin is doing right I was saying you know I will leave everything and I will serve them for the love of God and for the sake of their souls and that they not despair the importance of the scenario is not just the way of seeing him pray and the risk that he took, but this act of choosing the gospel in every single moment. We forget that every moment is about, do I choose the gospel now? Because his choosing of the gospel in that moment determined the direction of literally the rest of his life. Right? It wasn't just an act that was like, oh, that's really nice, sweet Abu Namina, he's so kind. This actually completely altered the course of his entire life. One event that was not even his own personal issue forced him in a different direction. And when I went to Old Cairo with these monks, and actually the priest who hosted them also got excommunicated for it. Um, and it's cool to see history connect each other because Amamina, the bishop here, ends up being bishop over that area, right? So actually that um, church that he goes to was under the care of Ambamina before he was uh, enthroned here. It'd be cool to ask him stories about it, but that's an aside. Um, 
The beginning of lies begins now about Abu Amina. Obviously, they're nervous about what the Pope might do. So they told the Pope that Abu Amina physically lunged at the abbot. And so the Pope calls Hanna, his older brother, um, to see him and says, Abu Amina deserves punishment for what he did. Now think about this. Think about what the Pope is thinking of like, here's a guy that I honored. Here's a guy that I elevated. Here's the one that I supported to go to the monastery, that supported to be a hermit, that I walked an hour like in my old age to see, only to find out that he's abusing my patronage to beat up the abbot, right? That's what they've told him. So he's fuming, right? Um, and so he tells his brother, and he's bringing his brother being like, you do something. Like, it's not just like, let me vent to you. It's like, uh, no, your brother deserves something here. Um, Hanna contacts Abu Amina, and here you really see the fatherhood of Abu Amina. Abu Amina decides to go meet the Pope alone, not with the seven monks. He is ready to take the whole of it only on himself. He goes to intercede, not just in words, but now physically, right? Taking sole responsibility. I'm going to read this exchange from the book because I, a summary of it, I think, won't do it justice um, to, to hear what this exchange looked like, just a piece of it. Answering the patriarch, Abu Amina goes straight to the altar before meeting Pope Yohannes. Again, showing you how Abu Amina thinks. God always first. Right? He's not like, oh, the Pope's waiting for me. He's like, God's waiting for me first. He goes, prays, then goes and sees Pope Yohannes. There is little welcome or familiarity, even though they have a history. And Pope Yohannes is already upset. Um, and he gets sarcastic. Right? He starts off with, you're in the first stages of worship. Right? Like, you're a novice on the way. Like, who do you think you are? You think you're holy? It's because you're living in a cave. That's, that's the meaning of what he's saying. Um, and, and then says to him, hinting that he's deluded by pride. Abu Amina is deluded by pride. Perhaps you've been deceived by the devil. Abu Amina's response is void of apology. No explanation of his actions. No defense of the other expelled monks. Just again... Put your mind in this place of how you would have responded, whether you would have argued where your mind goes to, because Abuna's mind goes always to Christ, because he's always praying. My Lord Jesus Christ is honest and just. He doesn't leave those who seek him. He shelters them with his angels. He appeals to Christ as the answer to the, the charge about his behavior. So Amba Yuannis responds, really, so do the teachings of Christ allow you to interfere in matters that have nothing to do with you? Because of course they've said to him, like, Badin Sayyidina, like, what's it to him? Right? He's supposed to be a hermit. And you think he'd be like, no, 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 no. And his response is, to, do the teachings of Christ allow you to interfere? Abu Amina answers humbly but, but firmly, yes. Christ taught us to struggle for honesty, even if it means shedding one's blood. One who does not defend the truth is like the devil. I am the son of the monastery. How can I see that things are not according to monastic laws and remain silent? I did not resist or hurt my father, the abbot. 
Instead, with all respect and reverence, I pleaded for the sake of Christ, to whose service he devoted himself, only not to leave those fathers in despair. I begged him not to keep them away from the shelter of hope during those days of Christ entering Jerusalem, to postpone their expulsion from the monastery until the end of Holy Week, after, Holy Week, after which he could respect, request, sorry, your holiness's mercy. Right? Like, I didn't interfere. I didn't beat. I didn't even say who's right or wrong. I just interceded. But then he, the Pope continues, why did you interfere in this matter since you're supposed to be a hermit, right? You're supposed to be away from the monastery. And Abuna replies, I would deserve your anger if I didn't interfere. If I neglected defending the reputation of the monastery, the monastery of your holiness, if I left seven reverend fathers to be expelled in such a shameful way, they would collapse and lose hope of God's mercy during Pascha. You didn't revolt against the abbot, and be honest, is still in disbelief. You wanted to crush his head with a rod. Now it's coming out what they told him, right? God forbid, Abuna said with tears welling in his eyes, that I could even think of doing such a thing. I asked only that he look with compassion at the monks as their shepherd and judge them according to the church canons. That's all. And then he wept. Pope Uennis, taken aback by his tears, of this hermit that he had known for years to be beyond reproach. Now at this image in front of him, has in his mind, here's the guy who fled being a bishop, right? Here's the guy who's, who's in the cave. This is the Bunamina that I, that I know. So he starts crying. <laughs> Clearly he had been misinformed and Abunamina's presence was enough for him to be persuaded to immediately forgive the elderly monks, without them even having to appear in front of him. Virtue is more powerful than words. The real nature of virtue is not talking about it. It's seeing it incarnate in the flesh, seeing intercessory prayer in the flesh, seeing love in the flesh. You can talk about virtue all you want. If you don't do it, you never see it. No one sees it, no one does it. Right? They have, it has to be lived. That, seeing the virtue in the flesh, that was more moving than anything else. It dispelled the lies, right? The truth was evident in the seeing of Abunamina. It changes hearts. The Pope started in one disposition completely in a different one by the end. Abunamina's presence was enough for Ambayuannis to completely change. And now, the prayer of Abunamina, the intercession of Abunamina, what did it do to the Pope? It made him prayerful too. Right? Prayer begets prayer. Note also again, as we said yesterday, Abunamina's words are not contrived. They're not fake. A person who doesn't really live in prayer in that way, who doesn't really the gospel, wouldn't even think of those words. Because of how he lives the gospel, the gospel is everything to him. It's not a random idea. That's why the first thing he goes to right away is, of course, Christ said don't do that. It's a no-brainer. Right? That's not a question. It's not like, let me think about what's a good reply to the Pope. Right? He's not calculating. It's, it's not about that. It's obviously, I would have mercy. Isn't that what the gospel says? That's not, I'm not sure how many of us think this way. Um, this intercession resulted in the seven monks being dissolved. Um, but Abuna Amina knew that he lost his home, 
there are some acts of mercy that cost you everything, right? So in, in giving them back their home, he lost his, right? It was now time for him to move on. Um, he would move to the windmill, the tahuna. Um, as I said, in giving the monks their monastery, he gave up the monastery. And a man of prayer, he knows that defending the, cause, the cost of defending the truth often means isolation. So the next chapter of his life is the, wind, the windmill. And this becomes the place of his prayer life becoming more evident. He's always praying, but of people seeing his prayer life. Um, but also where the wonder worker came out. Um, like this is where Abu Namina's miracle side really, really started to come out. There is nothing which prayer is incapable of, says Pope Krulus. Let prayer be the mirror by which you see yourself each day, that it be your scale upon which you weigh your heart. So the windmill seems to have had some direction from God in choosing it. We don't know what that speech looked like, um, but that just like the cave of Bunamina knew that's where he was going. Um, again, we're going to go on super high speed fast forward. Um, what was the connection to this place? Visitor number one from yesterday. Um, the director of the Arabic antiquities happened providentially to be the guy who visited the cave with the American. Um, so God is not random. Um, God is responding to prayer. There's a living dialogue. The director both approved and even paid part of the lease for Bunamina to take the windmill. The lease was signed in June, just a couple of months before his birthday. So in this new arrangement, he'd live in the abandoned windmill and went to the world once a week to Deir al-Malek in the old Cairo for liturgy where the priest who had hosted the seven monks prayed. Right? So obviously there's a, a deep love between the two, especially Abu Amina being like, thank you for taking care of essentially these refugees, um, even at personal cost. Right, that, that monk almost got excommunicated, or priest, sorry, just for hosting them. So that was where he'd go to pray. Um, his name was Abu Namoros. Abu Namoros was very stealth, and he sent someone to follow him after liturgy. Um, and find out where he was and what conditions Abu Amina was living in. When they saw that he was living in a windmill that didn't even have a door, um, they went back with a lot of words for Abu Namoros. Um, when they arrived, they found him reading on the, very, on the floor, so very much Abu Amina, um, and he introduced himself as a worm. Um, Abuna was living off the food and water given by the Ministry of Antiquities, um, but this visit resulted in him getting a roof, big luxury, door, staircase, like that's how he got hooked up. Um, so he turned the top floor into the church, the bottom floor is where he'd make the urban and sleep in, but there was no bed. Um, the windmill became his church and his public service. This is where, to me, I see him as becoming um, the St. Paul Brotherhood, um, where it's just like, okay, there is a precedent for this, right, of this monastic living in the world um, and serving. And this period shows the life of prayer continued and its effect, which is the love of others. If a person is, is, is praying, if it's not transformed into love, it's, there's something not true about it. At 2 a.m., he'd start the midnight prayers, the Agbeya the, the midnight prayers. Uh, then he would do psalmody. Then he'd make urban. Then he would do beker, matins. Then he'd do the liturgy, which would end at around 8 a.m., so that means that he'd be spending at least six hours straight in prayer. Afterwards, you'd think that the solitary would be like, okay, right, leave me alone. 
Um, but actually, then he met with those who were hungry and thirsty for God's mercy. A sick person looking for a cure. Um, somebody facing major decisions, needing guidance. People who are possessed, people needing healing. Um, he'd spend all that time with them. He'd fast until 3 p.m. Um, then he'd pray and read. Then he'd do Ashaya every night, Vespers every night. Um, and whoever sat with him obtained a divine relief, a heavenly relief. Um, they'd find salvation, right, in, in his presence. And that's where he becomes this, um, the public monastic, right, where he becomes at the feet of the people, uh, a monastery of one serving the whole world. And this is that era, like all the people you might have come across or read stories about, many of their stories are here. Right, we used to visit Abu Amina either in the Tahuna or as we're going to get to in St. Mina's in Old Cairo. He would end up living here for six years. Um, I surmise, I don't know, that the breaking of his will is why the numerous miracles happened. Um, people wanted healing, advice, barakah, right, blessings. And he reacted to the people's wants by accommodating them, which like, that sounds so normal, but it's not, right? How many people are ready to live at the mercy of people? Like, I go nuts, right? We're like, now what do they want, right? I shouldn't say that out loud. I'm so happy about everything. Um, but Pope Krulis was actually happy, right? Where he's just like, okay, right? We'll see that even his dying day, he hasn't stopped, right? He keeps his door open literally, literally in his case to the last breath. Um, he accommodated them by making a schedule. He made business hours, if you will, for when people could come, um, which speaks to his organization. Um, and I think that's very amazing because it's contra what most monks would want, right? Many monks go out of their way to make sure that the monastic liturgy is when the people can't come. Um, whereas he changed the liturgy. <laughs> like, it was like, Inez Gayet, like, go earlier, right? Like, they don't want people. He changed the liturgy time so that they could attend. Right, I was saying, let's use this to serve them. Right, it's the work of the people and for the people. Um, his goal wasn't private liturgy. He incorporated and encouraged the people to do their work and their liturgy. Um, he even had a business card made um, that you can buy replicas of Shobra. Um, and that <laughs> struck me because in my mind, I wondered if that would be weird like when, when we do it. Um, and again, it just shows that he's very practical. Right, like he's not overthinking everything, right? He's like, it's practical, like, it just makes sense. Um, and that he was forward thinking, that wasn't a thing back then, right? This I mean, it's like, it's, it's, it's these little tiny things you can get glimpses into the personality of being like, okay, cool, he's progressive. Um, but this Abun Amina was the beginning of the publicly seen wonder worker like his intercessor, Marimina, right? This is where we start to see their personality is merging a little bit. Um, so the first miracle that's written about this period over there um, was that there was a nearby guard that was commissioned by the powers that be to bring provisions regularly for Abu Amina, right? Which I think is very interesting that Abu Amina accepted. Like even that was a lesson for me, um, to be honest, because sometimes we don't want to accept from people. And as we're going to see, he has a wisdom of when to accept from people and when not, because there's some things he doesn't, um, as we're going to see, but he, he accepted. Um, but Abu Amina's water had run out or dried out, and it was dark, and he wasn't going to be able to get more water. 
and so he wasn't going to be able to make Orban. His expectation is that the guard, as was the custom, was going to bring it. But he didn't. At midnight, the guard comes frantically knocking at the windmill with a bucket of water and said that somebody that looked like Abuna had rebuked him, telling him to take the water and deliver it, or he'll be punished severely. Abuna Mina kept his cool and said, no, that wasn't me, it was Saint Mina. Um, as if the guard would even know who's not even a Christian. Um, but it says something, like his calmness about it is like, okay, by now there's something going on between them that nobody knows about. Right, where he's just like, la, 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 mina, mashana. Um, like just as it's causing, it's Marimina, not me. Um, other miracles of healing began, beginning the, one of the most famous ones, the unction of a famous Hunayn Malika, who had congestive heart failure, who would be very famous, um, who was told, where Abunamina told them, Abunamina went all the way to his house in the city, which also is an interesting lesson. He wasn't afraid to do things like that. He was a public monastic, as we said. He wasn't ashamed or maksuf in way khush, like to go into the house of the people. And he of them said, but you need to pray with me. So Malika prayed for years after that in the windmills until he died. But another miracle that would have a return on investment um, in his life was there was a very famous scholarly priest. And I'm emphasizing scholarly because we tend to this is very much the culture, unfortunately, I think, in our church today, where you're either a sophisticated academic Christian, right, who is like, I don't need miracles, we don't need miracles, um, or the opposite, where everyone's like, oh, you're just superstitious and all you want is miracles. So here's a very scholarly, renowned priest who would eventually become the vicar of the Pope after Ioannis. Um, he's not the vicar yet. Um, who heard about Abunamina um, and asked for Bunamina to come and see him, to pray for him because he was extremely ill. So Bunamina, who is willing to visit and receive stuff from the guard, said, I'll come. And Abuna is like, I'll send you my car. And he said, no, don't. Right? This is something, it's, it's, it's interesting to me. Something for him here was like, this one I'm not going to do. Right? I, I don't know what his reasoning was. It might have been about an owing relationship. It might be about the prestige. It might be about, I, I suspect it was something more to the effect of, I'm not the guy who pulls up in the Mercedes. Right? Like, even if it wasn't a Mercedes, right? But having a car in those days was a really big deal. It meant you were very rich. Right? So it's like, no, I'm not about that. I want to be normal. This isn't normal. Eating is normal. Right at the time, riding cars is not right. It would be like today, right? Of being like, "Hey, AP, can you give a talk at a at a convention?" And be like, "Yeah, send me a private jet." Um, like where he's like, "I don't do that," right? Um, so what's interesting here is that this is a public famous figure asking for him now. This isn't the peasants in the countryside because the Hona was associated, sorry, with like lower class, right? It's in a poor area of old Cairo. Um, whereas now here's a big shot who's giving him attention, and now that's going to give him more attention, right? Because like, wait, that guy likes him, right? Then there might be something to this man. Um, because miracles on some level by the elite were seen as superstitious, and now we're seeing the worlds collide, right? Where people of different walks of life are like, you know, Mbunamin is different, right? Um, I don't think ever in the history of the church have we had a patriarch as documented to be a wonder worker in this way, of all 118. Um, and so let's 
zoom in just for a second on prayer. I'm going to read a couple of sections on prayer because how he understood prayer might be very different from how you do. Now, his understanding of prayer is very much based on Isaac the Syrian. So I'm going to read part of Isaac and a part of um, Abuna, both of which are, 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 are in the book, um, and then just highlight what I think for us we can think about. First, uh, Isaac the Syrian. He says, every good care of the mind, okay, every, every intentional work of the mind directed towards God, so anytime the mind is intentionally actively working towards God, in every meditation on spiritual things, you're in the context of prayer, says Isaac. And it's called prayer. Whether you speak, he's, like, he's talking about different kinds, about readings, or glorification, or soaring reflection on the Lord, or prostrations with the body, or psalms, or all other things, these are called prayer. Okay? So Isaac the Syrian is saying, prayer is all things that bring you into conversation with God, period. Right? There's not just one act that we call prayer. And when Amina talks of it as unity with God in line with Isaac, he says it's a conjugation between man and God in unity. This is, these are the actual words of Amina. Okay? This is not a summary of it. It means actual reconciliation with God. The mother of tears and also their daughter is what he's saying about prayers. The forgiveness of sins. Keep in mind, like, this might not be how you thought of prayer, right? He's saying even forgiveness is praying, right? The bridge to pass over tribulations and to support your weaknesses. Prayer puts away devilish wars. It is the work of angels, the food for those who need charity, happiness, the work that is beneficial, the core of virtues, and the giver of other gifts. It is nourishment for our souls, light to our minds, filling for our days, proof of our hope, our grace, the treasure of monks, and the repository of the silence and serenity. So I'm saying anybody who thinks Abuna Mina was not a teacher, he's a teacher. Um, there is, it, it's so poetic. He then would say, prayer is the power of everything. Without it, we lose everything. Right? And that's why it became everything needful in his life. When standing before your Lord, Abu Amina taught, the clothing of your soul, the attire of your soul, should be woven with threads of non-hatred. If you stand up to pray, you can't hate anybody. Right? Which speaks volumes. Again, we're getting insights into the man of how Abu Amina was. No hatred, without envy and without grudging. Prayer must be offered with pure intention and requires fierce resistance, showing that even Pope Corollas got bored. Even Pope Corollas sometimes maybe did not want to. Right? That's why, otherwise, he wouldn't use the word resistance. Resistance implies my will was something and the right thing was something else, and I needed to resist. If you have to go out of your cell, he continues, protect what you have gathered. And if you are happy when a visitor arrives, he's talking about monks here, right? If you're, or, and it, and it, can, it not, doesn't have to be monks, if you're excited that your prayer is interrupted, right? Know that you have prepared yourself for boredom and not God. Right? Something's wrong with how you're approaching prayer. Isaac the Syrian echoes many of these sentiments. Right? Isaac says, well, I have person has to pray with humility, affection, patience, love. Um, he also talks about Matanyas, which Pope Kroos was huge on. Um, aside, it was so cool to see the practice, Tan Samira, that I mentioned yesterday. One of the things that he'd make her do, even in her very old age and her illness, when he would appear to her, was make her do Matanyas. But he would do them with her. Right, where he would stand beside her and do it. He's like, even if you can do two, 
right, is the, the power of Matanyas. One, um, mo, he said those more than the practice of Salmadi. He said more than the practice of Salmadi, more than even Tizbaha, love Matanyas during prayer. Um, nothing more excites envy in the demons than if a man prostrates himself. But most importantly is he emphasizes the necessity of pre preparing for night prayer, vigil. Spend the most of your night, Abu Amina says, in prayers and praise. As much as you can, prepare for them during the day. Be ready for your night prayer. He's saying warm up for prayer, right? Though certainly an unusual concept, night vigil is, is for the solitary in the front line of ascetical struggles. Um, this is very much um, in line with Isaac the Syrian, but... He also really emphasized reading as part of prayer, right? That, that what gives intellect, this is Isaac, but Isaac and, and Baba Kurlus are almost interchangeable half the time. Um, that reading gives intellect to the prayer, right? For those of you who have ever sat down and really gotten into a book, right, you might find yourself just naturally excited, naturally your mind going places, right? I was even told by one of my spiritual fathers, if you're in that place, don't stop. Let's say it's time for you to do your kanun, he goes, don't continue because that's real prayer right and your heart will be going somewhere so in summary because again i don't think that we view prayer in this way every act directed towards god is prayer why what did christ say whatever you did to anybody you did to me so any act directed towards god is prayer it is unity with god it is everything it requires physical and outward humility as well as internal both Right? There's a physical act in the matanya that's, that's echoing an internal disposition. Prostrations are key. Reading is key. This is summary of Pope Corlus's view, not my view. right? Because um, I have no view because I don't know how to do it. Baba would spend at least, Pope Corlus would spend at least six hours in formal prayer, let alone all the informal that he's doing throughout the day. And I'm, I'm, I'm addressing the prayer part here because this is the period of his life where it was most outwardly observed. It was already happening. But this is where the world had uh, a slight view of what it looked like from the outside. And because it's also what governed him in this time and protected him in time. And it's also because it's his prayer that made him know God. Right? This is what people don't understand. That prayer changes you because you're talking to someone, not to something. And the more you talk to someone, the more you know them. And when you know somebody, you just always know them wherever you are, right? I think I think this is why Ebu Amina and later Pope Kurlis was known to just know things, right? Like it's noetic, it's an, it's it's something else. It's it's just known to the mind and soul. Anyways, I won't spend too much. The five years there were bliss. Um, I was told by someone who knows him that. His greatest sadness was when he had to leave that windmill. It was extremely sad. I don't know if it was his greatest, but a very sad point. And leave the windmill he did because he was evicted in 1949 at the age of 39. Things had become more dangerous. For those of you who know history, 39 is the beginning of World War II, right? Which, in which Egypt participated. Things had become more dangerous. The Mu'attam, which is where the Tahuna is, the windmill, became a, a high crime area. Abunamina actually was attacked one night. He was struck on the head. Um, so badly that he was bleeding really badly. Um, he'd end up needing to go to the hospital. But Marimina appeared first, um, healed him, and then he went to the hospital, which 
It's so interesting, like that Tibuna Mina that wasn't weird of being like he healed me and they're going to the hospital. I'm like, yeah. Um, he had a, a physical scar on his head from that event, actually, that Abuna Rafiel ends up seeing. Um, the devil was moving against this place of holiness and stirring up people to complain. The devil is not going to sit idly when things are going good. Right? He's not like, oh, great, everyone's becoming more religious and people love God and they're praying. And they're like, no, i got to kill that guy and everyone around him. Right? And indeed, so just like we saw with the lady, it was just like, at least with the lady, it was just like, she could have done better. With Pope Cornelius, with the Bunamina, because they had to deal with the fact that real miracles were happening, like, it's black magic. It's Satanism. Right? These are the accusations brought again. Cursing. They accused him of smuggling illegal goods. And, and that, that, that accusation wasn't just like some random rumor. It escalated to the governor. Right? Like, like, it wasn't just like people are just sitting there being like, that guy is smuggling. Right? Or he's, he's trafficking. Right? It went to the governor. The governor himself investigated and came and found him shock, surprise, praying. Um, then a new director of antiquities, not the guy that visited, is appointed and tries to kick him out. And Abuna refuses and says, no, I have a lease. Like, my, my stay here is legal. Um, so they keep playing around to find a way. And in the end, to get him kicked out, they claim that there was, like, mandatory excavations, archaeological, that need to be done specifically under only his windmill, um, which ended up never happening. Um, and so in October 41, police officers came to force, forcefully evict him um, with many of his, his supporters around him. Um, when they were all worked up for him, even though it hurt him, he comforts them. Do not cry, my children, the Lord's will must be done. His plans are sublime, the Lord will not abandon me. He who provides his feeding to the weakest bird will give me shelter and bread. Do not be anxious for me. I'll try in high speed. Sorry, we started 10 minutes late, but I'll try and rush through. Um, the Sunday School Movement and St. Mina's Church. So after being kicked out, he spent 40 days in Alexandria with his family because he had to. Um, then he returned back to Old Cairo, and he's between two churches in Old Cairo. Then um, there's a new pope by then. Pope Yonis has died. He became the confession father to the convent of St. Mercurius in Old Cairo. Um, he did not want this. Like, he did not want to be in charge of anyone spiritually, but he was ordered by the new pope, Pope Macarius, to do it. Macarius didn't last long. Um, there's some traditions about, about that that are very moving, but not the time. Um, and Pope Yuseb came in his place, and that was an absolute epic disaster, um, which I'm saying not to just be political, because if because it was a disaster, it shows the holiness even more um, of Abu Namina, because that was one of the most disastrous times in the history of our church. Um, um, but Yuseb came in, he ordered all monks to go back to their original monasteries. Abu Namina wrote to the vicar, the guy that he did the miracle for, he's now a vicar, right? And he calls in a favor. Um, I forgot an important point. He, um, I skipped a whole section. Um, he became abbot of Dira Musamuil. Um, sorry. So at one point, <laughs> big deal. Um, I was like, I forgot something. Um, so he had no monastery, no cell when he's kicked out. Um, he started trying to get permission to fix up Dir Merimina, the ancient one. Um, 
he got permission, but he didn't get permission from the armies because of the war. So he, he, he had to abandon that. Um, this is actually monumentally important because this is, this is who Abu Namina is. One night he slept literally on the Rosif, on the pavement in front of a church. Like literally the solitary is homeless, right? Like he's, he's, he's actually literally sleeping on the street, not just allegorically. Um, please note how much the devil wanted this, right? But how Abu Namina's acceptance of it right, not fighting it, is that somehow that guy sleeping on the street is going to end up on the throne of Alexander, right? God is completely different, right, completely different. But that's because of Bunamina's cooperation, right, of saying, I accept, right, I accept to sleep on the, on, on the ground, I don't care. He lived between Deir al and the Church of St. Mary. Those are the two churches that I mentioned out of order. Um, the priest who, now, who had helped him set up the windmill now helped him serve there. Throughout all of this, he was still doing miracles, followed by people, um, but not changing his way of life. He was not broken, right? Nothing about him was broken. In 1943, he was made abbot of St. Samuel's Monastery, which he did not want. The monastery was decrepit, falling apart, shambles. But even though he didn't want it, he was like, okay, if I'm delegated, be faithful. He transformed it. Um, he went to Dira Masamuyid um, and describes the beauty of it. He's like, I can't describe its beauty. Like, even though he didn't want it, he's excited about it. Right? And he goes, the beauty and the blessings of, he's like, of even just the relics of Amba Samuel. He's like a kid when he's writing about it. Um, and he got it fixed, got financial help. And it's so funny because like, the man who can get financial help to build a monastery refused to get financial help to not sleep on the ground. Right? It's like, no, no, no. For me, no. For St. Samuel, yes. Right? This is his, his, his way of doing things. Um, and I saw a good lesson in his ministry and his service because even in the rebuilding of the monastery, he got the whole community involved in repairing it so that all of the people of Merera, another hard word to say, um, felt ownership of the monastery, right? That all of them were excited. It became their monastery, right? And it's out of that relationship. When he had done his work there, he left. He appointed Abu Amina Esugayr, right? The young, the small, the little, who actually becomes a saint himself. Um, he's the late Bishop Mina um, of there um, and took care of it. So as we said, Pope Yuseb kicks everybody out, says go back to the monasteries. He calls in the favor. And so the vicar says to the Pope, well, Abuna Mina has got to be an exception because he can't go to Baramos because he's not just a monk, he's actually an abbot. Um, so let him stay in Cairo um, to run the monastery from there. And so this was great for Abu Namina because it made him now officially, legitimately, in the eyes of the church, permitted to be in Cairo. And now he didn't need to keep on sleeping on the floor as he was. He was sleeping on benches, um, literally just on pews. Um, and so like, there's a tradition that he, like, he would sleep like a board um, because of getting used to sleeping on the benches. Um, he tried to go back to the Tahuna. Not tried, he did. Um, he went and just, I don't squatter, he was a squatter. Um, but by mid-1945, he was evicted again, um, this time with the accusation of being a spy. Um, you know those monks. Um, so, he's, he spends his time there, and in the backdrop of all of this is, like I said, the, the time of the papacy of Pope Yuseb as a whole, I'm not saying the person of Pope Yuseb was an absolute epic disaster. 
Um, the morale of the people was on another level low. Everything was falling apart. The country, the government, the morale, the church. Um, there's no time to talk about it, but it was dark. It's extremely dark. Everything was fractured and wounded, and more than anything, it needed a thaumaturgus. It needed a wonder worker and a healer. But you can only find someone to be that if they're in communion with God, which he was. Right During this time is the famous Sunday school movement that I'm not going to spend a long time on, even though it warrants its own long thing. Um, St. Habib Girgis had gotten a reform going in the church, and you had a bunch of youth that started a, a revolution. Um, big names in the history of the church that every single one of you, without exception, is affected by today. Every single one of them. Right? They were huge. Um, some of them are a bit rebellious. They actually kidnapped the Pope and took him to the monastery hostage. Um, it was a weird time. Um, and so all this is going on, but Pope Kurlus or Bunamina, who went through revolution, whatever, completely undisturbed. And not just that, um, he's father of confession of all of them, right? Of all of the, the leaders. Thanks, Abuna. Um, catechesis teaching from St. Habib Girgis was taking root. People wanted change, um, and, and the desire for holiness was catching fire, especially in Shobra and Giza, um, became hot spots of the spiritual revolution, like of the church during those times. Like I said, Father Confession to almost everybody involved is a Bunamina. And I think what's beautiful about this is that he was able to be father to all these people without actually being in their movement. He wasn't in it. Right? He didn't participate. He wasn't like trying to navigate it. He wasn't trying to direct it. Right? He was navigating individual souls wherever they were with whatever personality that they had. That's a big thing about spiritual guidance. Many people try and turn them into mini-me's. Some people try and execute their agendas through others. Abunamina had no self in that. Right? Completely killed it. Um, he could guide without being swayed or being inside something. Um, what was he concerned about? Service, Marimina, the people. So he actually one day took an engineer named Yusuf Suriel to the roof of um, where he was serving and just says to him, St. Mina wants to build this land into a church. Um, the owner is traveling and wants to sell it for three pounds a meter. Or just like, so, got cash. Um, he doesn't bait. A week later, Yusuf comes to visit again because Abunana doesn't want the money. He wants Marimina to have a home. Um, so when he came back to visit, Abunana tells him, you know, when the owner realized it was for Marimina, he reduced it to two pounds a meter and then looked at him and just goes, and there's a lady who had the money and paid for it on the spot. Right? Don't worry about it. Um, and thus was conceived St. Mina's monastery in Old Cairo. Right? This is his communion with the saints, his communication with his intercessors. The land, and this became a big deal because the land beside it was eventually annexed. The people who bought and paid for it, and this is a big lesson in the service, because everyone's always stressing about money and funding and blah, 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 blah. Right? Why did they pay for it? Who paid for it? The ones he was serving. He didn't need to say money. Right? Because they felt the love and care and the value of Abu Amina. They're like, ahna Right? And not just that, because he was physically laboring with them, there's a big connection between the service and the giving because there's, a, there's an exchange going on between all. We're all giving and receiving, all of us. The land beside it became a boarding residence for university students, again, St. Paul Brotherhood, um, a physical place for discipleship. 
Like this is visionary. This is not normal, right? Like this is we're going to be like this. This is not a monk, right? Like you would think like he's like no 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 Ben Leslie, right? And he's like no, let's let's fix this, right? The place was jointly consecrated by his two friends in high places, um, two metropolitans, and Bethanesius of Benesuif, which he probably was going to regret because he's one who would nominate him for pope, and Emba Braham of Giza, not the famous saint, but his friend from Hadwen. Okay, um, so Bunamina now had a home with Merimina. And yet, in spite of this period of success, now that everybody loves him, now that he's got a place, now that he's got a building, now that he's got success, what does Abunamina do? He makes the Urban himself, right? He prays daily. He attends to these as servants. He's still fasting to 2.30. Then he would work and clean. He'd be, they would see him bin like coming and going with the brooms and with the mops. Um, he would keep his cannon as if he was in the cave. He made the city the desert in the same way that as Pope he'd still be monk. Um, the only time he ever left was for emergency appendix surgery because during liturgy he was in and out of consciousness. Um, he renamed that place what he named the periodical, the harbor of salvation. And he put a vision and he established a Coptic school, theological education, Studies by correspondence, a reference library. It's mind-blowing to me, right? Abu Namina is not, you can't put him in a box, right? Like, he's, he's a visionary. Every evening, and if you can imagine the sight of this, right? Like, like, there's no wonder that everybody would love this guy. Each evening, he gathered the local children for Vespers, teaching them the Alhan, right? Imagine if you got, you could go up being like, Baba Krolo's taught me Alhan, right? Like, that's, that's what he was doing teaching them Coptic languaging, and then he'd promise them if they like, had some success that he'd give them a full urbana if they attended liturgy from the beginning. Keep in mind that like, offering the full urbana, which is like the best bribe in the world, also means a ridiculous amount of work for him because he's the one making it, right? Like it's not like, yeah, Fulan, add 40, right? Like it's, it's I'm gonna make 40. Um, like it's, it's work and I hated that job. Um, I mean, it's full of blessing and all that, but. Um, <laughs> And um, they would see him wear a galabeya on his galabeya, tuck his beard into his clothes, roll up his sleeves when he makes the urban. Like this is the images that they have of Abu Namina, right? He's he's a man of the people, right? He would have lectures for young adults like this, right? And some of them are very serious biblical commentary. Um, an entire wing of the second, the residence adjoining the monastery, was for vocational training, teaching them, helping them be like functioning members of society. Um, it became, as one disciple would say, um, a shelter for their faith and chastity, right? That now people from all over the country are like, we need to go to Bunamina, right? This is, this is, this is the consequence of all that we're talking about. I'm saying is that without talking about the so-called boring, you don't arrive at this. This was built somehow. It wasn't in a vacuum, right? It was through much struggle. I wish I could spend more time on who came there, but we won't. Um, it could be its own series of lectures, but this shows the greatness of Bunamina. So many greats were children of old Cairo. The late Bishop Gregorius, the late Bishop Emba Samuil, who established a lot of the churches here in the lands of immigration. The late Emba Athanasius of Benesuif. Um, uh, Abuna Mikhail Ibrahim, who would later become the Father Confession of Pope Shenouda and many saints. Abuna Met Meskin, and of course, last but not least, that you all are aware of is Pope Shenouda III, right? That these were all the fruits 
was Bunamina, right? These were all, without exception, his kids. And they are all so different. Um, they had many disagreements with each other, right? And, that's saying, and I'm mentioning that to say his fatherhood as a real father is like, yeah, my, my kids are going to squabble, but I'm their dad, right? And so he really was dad to all of them. They were all his children. He would guide them, write them, right? This is to me like texting at three or four in the morning because after he would leave them and finish all of his work, we have all these letters of him to these people, right? He would manifest to them themselves, right? He would show them who they are. That was what he would do with them. He'd illuminate them. He became the confessor of everyone. When others saw these as his children, others also came to him. So he became the father of fathers of fathers, right? He was discipling everywhere he went by virtue of his own discipleship. He was light. And holiness bred holiness. Asceticism changed the world. As confessor of the Sunday School movement, he was spiritual guide of the entire spiritual and institutional reform of the Coptic Orthodox Church, right? The desert was internal. And contrary to everything he wanted, the monk became pope, but remained monk. The spiritual revolution of which he headed as mentor and guide would now be helmed by him formally. When Abu Amina was ordained and enthroned the Bishop of Alexandria and 116th Pope of the Church of Alexandria, he was chosen by the altar ballot on April 19, 59, his response was not gear, right? It was, this is a new test, a new task that God has given me. I have always lived a solitary, my God, and I would have continued to live a, and die a solitary, but you have not wanted. Even in this, my God, may your will be done, for your will is impenetrable, and you are mysterious, Lord. In typical Pope Krulla's fashion, Abu Amina fashion, Aizer fashion, on the day of his ordination in the church, he arrived before the deacons to do the praises in the morning, right? He was, he, he was the first one in the church. On May 9, 59, Abu Amin al-Baramusi and Mutawahid became Pope Kurlus VI. And what he said at his enthronement, and there's a, it's famous that he broke down in tears, we'll talk about that tomorrow. In the depth of my heart, I feel the weight of the responsibility that has been laid upon me and the holy gift that has been tied to my neck. But who am I? It is the grace of God which will work in us and with us. I have great trust in the mercies of our Lord who says to his church, for a mere moment I have forsaken you. It also requires us to gather and unify all our efforts. I am confident that our brethren, the metropolitans and the bishops, our blessed children, the priests, the deacons, all the members of the lay council, general and subdivisional, different organizations and working associations and all the servants of the Lord will cooperate with us in love faithfulness, self-sacrifice, self-denial under the leadership and grace of the great head of shepherds, Christ. So first of all, his first thing is saying, let's be united in Christ, not in me. But this is epic, what he says right after. As for us, he's using the royal we here to be polite, because there, if he just said me, it'd actually be ego, not the opposite. Let us disappear. He just become pope. Let us disappear so that he might be manifest, so that if I disappear, God will be manifest with his blessed glory. I ask the Lord to grant us the one spirit, one heart, and one mind to work in one opinion and one counsel, which is that of the Holy Spirit, who has loved the church 
during its long glorious history, having one holy objective, which is the glory of God. I'm going to skip because I went too long and I'm sorry. Um, my reflections on things we could use to learn from, um, I think he speaks for himself. Um, I can send notes to anybody who wants it after if they're interested. Um, and it's, it's epic because in that moment, oh, he's cut off. Oh, not that one. Um, is that even in the reading of the gospel, the reading of the gospel is that the new patriarch is, stands and reads from John saying, I am the good shepherd. And he broke down in tears and he couldn't say, I am the good shepherd. He added in and said, the Lord Jesus says, I am the good shepherd, where he has no confusion about who he is, right? He is in Christ and Christ in him. To God be glory now and always the age of all ages. Amen.